there can only be room for one winner. Success means first place on the podium, and second or third are simply consolation prizes for the best of the losers. This zero-sum notion that in order for someone to win, someone else must lose, is a cultural cornerstone of Western society. It is hammered home in school sports lessons, in contests of spelling bees, debating societies, and even in performance tier groups in school. But what's worse is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Losers get chosen last and sent to the bottom where they get no special attention, whereas winners get more and more support and before long they're miles ahead of the pack and there's no way for anyone to catch up. But what if it didn't have to be this way? This is Conversations on Living, a podcast about how to be well, do well and live well. I'm Chris Brock and I usually got chosen last when they picked teams in school. And that's why I started this podcast, in an effort to help others like me to choose ourselves and come out winning. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn famously stated that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And with this podcast, I've been surrounding myself with amazing, inspiring, wise and wonderful people who all have a take on how to live life, make it work and turn struggles into successes. Today, I'm speaking with E.A. Solkovitz, who wants to turn the idea of winning on its head by literally gamifying success. If we were to surround ourselves with people who each committed to raising the others up, like a mastermind group of individuals competing to see who could bring the most success to the others, then surely there could be no losers. This brilliant idea echoes the convener model we explored in episode 68 when I spoke to the fantastic Lindsay Hadley, who described how it's possible to work together for shared success and in doing so create a tide that raises all ships together. Whereas Lindsay Hadley worked with organisations to make it happen, E.A. Solkovitz wants to work with individuals through his Free Givers University project. It offers step-by-step instructions on how to create your mastermind group, which he calls a junto, which is a historical word meaning a group of people joined together for a common purpose, and how to bring everyone together in order to help each other succeed. I think it's a wonderful and powerful idea, and it's delivered by a man who's enjoyed its benefits firsthand. EA is a great storyteller with a great story to tell. He's founded many businesses, made many fortunes, flies airplanes, has hosted radio talk talk shows, and much, much more. You can find out more about his Givers University at www.giversuniversity.com. But before we get started, just a quick shout out to the guys at Headliner. Headliner is the service that I use to create audiograms, which are little audio clips uh, backed up by little video waveforms or um, captions, subtitles, that kind of thing, which I then post to social media, to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And you've probably seen the kind of thing, if you, if you listen to podcasts regularly, follow any on social media, you've probably seen what I'm talking about. Headliner is by far the most powerful and easiest way to create them. So if you host a podcast, definitely give it a try. It's at www.headliner.app. And also just a quick word about Plane. This is a video game where you're challenged to grow a beautiful island using mindfulness. Through the game, you can experience deep relaxation and learn straightforward meditations that can help you to care for your mental well-being and to be more present. I've not seen anything like it before, and if you want to give meditation a go but don't know where to start and you also enjoy video games, then this might just be what you're looking for. So check it out at www.plane.co. That's P-L-A-Y-N-E.co. And finally, a request from me to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, and also to tell the world. Tell your mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, your 
colleagues and co-workers, cats and dogs, goldfish, because it all helps to spread the love and it helps us to attract better guests and keep the uh, momentum going and uh, help everyone uh, live well, be well and do well. Um, you can find it wherever, obviously wherever you get your podcasts and also at conversationsonliving.com where you can also find more episodes and find out more about me, my writing and my meditations and other projects. And while you're there, don't forget to take the 21 Day Gratitude Challenge or sign up for my incredibly infrequent newsletter and in return you'll get a lovely free treat as a thanks for your effort. And don't forget you can also continue the conversation in our Facebook group, just search for Conversations on Living. And now, without any further to do, here is my conversation with E.A. Solkovitz about how we can all give in order to succeed. So, E.A. Solkovitz, thank you uh, for giving up your time to come on the podcast. It is quite um, an amazing story that uh, you've got. And uh, yeah, I mean, quite, it, it feels like it's just a series of successes. Um, you started off in sales in janitorial supplies, I guess. And then you moved into the diamond business and it was nutrition and wellness. You've hosted radio talk shows, um, mentoring programs for presidents and CEOs. Uh, you, you were a millionaire at the age of 23. It, it's really quite a, a great story. But behind all of this, there's this notion of givers and takers, this whole idea about um, of, of giving, I guess. Uh, but I, I want you to kind of talk me through that. So maybe you could give us a bit of an introduction um, to your story and 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 where this has all come from. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I appreciate that, and uh, thank you for all the kind words. But as I was listening to you say a little bit about you know some of my background, I, I I was forcibly struck by all of that together is still not as long as my last name. So I have to get the business. I have to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> so it's time for me to get serious now. I've been working part time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for having me on your show, and I hope we can uh, share some things that were taught to me by people a whole lot smarter than me. Uh, that I can share with your listeners that will be able to help them have the prosperous and uh, delightful and happy life that uh, uh, we certainly would love to have them have. So uh, thank you for allowing me to be able to share some of those things with you. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. I'm, glad, I'm just glad you uh, can spare the time. So I'm very grateful. You're certainly welcome. Uh, I have to say, you know, going all the way back, my, my upbringing was very average. My father was a milkman. Uh, you know, he had, had a one-man operation uh, delivering milk for... Uh, a dairy called Twin Oaks Dairy out of the Chicagoland area and, and got up at three in the morning. And back then milk came in glass containers, you know, and uh, and there was a box outside everyone's house and that was the milkman's box. And you know the amazing thing, Chris, is there was always money in the box and no one ever touched it. Everyone always knew that was milkman money. So a little bit different than today, right? So the, uh, but uh, different times, right? So, uh, but, uh, you know, five years old, I would get up and, and I think, Chris, that was, Maybe the first time where I really, my, my father said the, the same thing to me all the time. And, and it sort of stuck in a little bit of a strange way, I guess. He would, because I would watch him, he'd get up at three in the morning and he was all by himself. He worked by himself, one man operation, delivering milk. You know, he'd go pick up the, the, the milk and these big sheets of six foot ice. And back then the trucks weren't refrigerated, only the big 18 wheelers were, right? So the little ones, you had to cut up ice and put them in there, right? So, uh, and I watched him do all this and at five years old, I'd help him. And he always said the same thing. He's well, when we're done, we're done. You know, and, and he, what he was saying was, let's get on with it. Let's get through with the things we need to do so that we can go on and do the things that we can enjoy doing, right? And, uh, and, and I think there was sort of a self-starter thing that sort of 
you know, because I watched him do it every day. He wasn't, didn't have, Chrissy didn't have someone over his shoulder saying, you know, punch in, punch out, you know, that kind of thing. He had to go in. It was his route, you know, and make something of it. So, and, and, and I think that, that was, I, I have great fond memories of it. That's for sure. And I know because of all the glass bottles I inadvertently broke, that's why they went to plastic. You know, I'm sure of it in cardboard because that was specifically me. So anyway, <laughs> the uh, at, at the ripe old age of 16, Chris, then I went out and uh, took my first big step in being successful. And that was I became a janitor and uh, also sold the uh, janitorial services to businessmen. Now, that was an interesting thing because at 16 years old, here I am talking to a businessman. He's already had 20 other companies. He know they all hire, you know, they they hire the cheapest help they can get, you know. And here I am talking to a business owner, and I'm 16 years old, so quite a learning curve. But there was two amazing, really blessed things that happened to me while I was a janitor. The first was, at 16, I was able to be bonded and basically insured, so that if my buffer when I was cleaning a place, if it hit a piece of equipment or something, insurance company would pay for it, right? It also allowed me to be in expensive places. It allowed me to be in expensive homes. And every Wednesday, I clean the home of a lady who, whose name won't mean anything until I make the movie reference for your listeners. Uh, there was a movie a couple of years ago. Uh, it's still out now on streaming and probably will be for a number of years because it's actually a pretty good view. Um, it's called The Founder. Uh, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, and it's basically about McDonald's, right? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you, did you have a chance to catch it? I've not seen it. I've seen the trailer oh, for it. And oh, okay, yeah. People, it, it, people I know who've seen it. it, they they rave about it. They say it's yeah, a great yeah. movie. And, uh, and 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 I can tell you that I live there. I live in Oakbrook, where did where you know for the first thirty years of my life, uh, which is where the he world headquarters was for McDonald's. So I witnessed this whole phenomenon in my life, and I can tell you for sure, at the beginning of the movie, Chris, it says based on a true story. That's true. But it's not the true story, <laughs> you know. So I mean, there's a it's Hollywood spin all over the place. Ray wasn't that way. They throw in a lot of drama, you know, to get you to watch it. But but the events certainly, you know, they, I mean, the events are mentioned, you know, and, and and those the events did happen. They're just portrayed Hollywood wise, right? Uh, and and Ray wasn't the way he's shown in the movie. But anyway, through the movie, through the entire movie, he's talking to this lady outside his office all the time. He says June this, June this, June this, June this. June Martino is her name. That lady is the lady who house I cleaned every Wednesday. Huh. And uh, and she had, when I met her, the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. She was very, very wealthy. Um, she was actually, interestingly enough, years later, Chris, she was actually the very first woman to be able to trade on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, she was an amazing lady. And uh, I was able to one day, she sort of put her arm around me and and I asked her and she told me the whole McDonald's story. Uh, and, and I mean, from beginning all the way up to that moment. And she and, and basically I got the feel and she shared with me the importance that Ray had in her life, that Ray had become like a mentor to her. And, and, and ever since then, I, I thought, well, first of all, man, I got to find a Ray Kroc. You know, I, this I mean, this didn't work out too bad for her. I'm cleaning this million dollar home and it was a million dollar home back then, you know. So and I'm 65 now. So when I was 16, that was a long time ago. Right. How could it be 50? How could it be five decades already, Chris? What, it goes pretty happen? quick, doesn't it? <laughs> I turned around three times and I'm staring at my father in the mirror. Anyway, <laughs> so the, uh, so how did I do that? <laughs> that happened, right? Uh, so uh, so she, she shared with me the importance of a mentor, which was Ray, right? And I thought, man, I got to find a Ray Kroc. And it wasn't two or three months later, I met my business mentor. Um, with the janitorial service, we sold carpeting. He needed some carpeting. I went to talk with him and give him a bid. 
carpeting was a no-go because we had the wrong kind. He wants something real plush because he was open at Diamond Store. And he offered me a job. And I didn't know at that time, and I accepted the job. Later on, he became genuinely the father I never had, even though I had a father. I became the son he never had, even though he had a son. He really genuinely became my mentor. But he was he was a puritanical genius, not the... I, don't know, I guess I call him the uh, the IQ kind of genius that I really don't believe in because I've met in my lifetime too many educated idiots. You know, they, uh, they all this knowledge they spew at you, but zero execution and implementation skills. You know, zero, none. You know, they just know the book knowledge. You know, which means nothing unless you know how to apply it, right? Well, this guy, this Sam Robbins, my mentor, was the other extreme. He, I mean, he was puritanically a the kind of person that. He could ask you a half a dozen questions, look in your eyes and have you totally pegged. He knew like your whole life story, you know, just with that. Just to show you what an amazing man he was. He, he in the United States, because you're in the UK, right? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, And we had this thing called the Great Depression, right? And, uh, and, you know, many decades ago. And he grew up in that era. And he told me things were so bad that for some of his meals, he actually ate cardboard yeah. yeah that's a that's a tough life lesson right there isn't it it really really is and uh uh and and it, and of course you know he told me people were jumping off buildings because they lost their fortunes you know committing suicide and he said multi-mile long soup kitchen lines no one had any money and every day you know and he was in his late teens and every day as he'd walk by the store and the store had was filled with sewing machines, and there was no one anywhere. There, no one was in any stores because no one had any money, right? And uh, so one day he just had this flash of an idea, and he went in, and uh, he talked with the man he saw that was standing there every day, and you know, and he said, "I noticed there's not many customers here." He goes, "Yeah, there's none." And he said, "You know, no one's got any money, and the last thing they're gonna buy is a sewing machine. They need food, right?" And uh, and and he said, "I don't even have." money for employees. It's just him, right? Standing in his whole store and a bunch of sewing machines collecting dust. So my business mentor said, would you mind if I help you sell some of these? And the man said, you better believe it. They're just collecting dust. You know, what do you have in mind? He said, well, I'd like to propose that we sell them on payments and we'll split the payments. He said, I'll guarantee the sewing machine. If someone doesn't make good on the payments, I'll guarantee the cost of the sewing machine. So you won't be at risk. And he said, and we could do this together and we'll split it. And the owner said, you better believe it and go for it. You know, so then the next step was my business mentor put together some flyers and passed them out and put them all up, posted them everywhere for women to work from home because all families needed money. Right. So then he said he was inundated. He couldn't even respond to all of the people who wanted more information because everyone needed money. You know, if you could, if you had a job, you know, tell me what it is. So he actually then sold them a sewing machine on payments, set them up each in their own little sewing machine business, if you will, in their home, provided for them the patterns, the material, and then he also guaranteed he would buy the clothing from them that they made, then virtually guaranteeing their income, right? And that they could make the payments on the sewing machine. And then he would take those same clothes and sell them to stores as homemade, high-quality discounted cost clothing who would then sell them to customers. So in a year where people are jumping off of buildings because they've lost their fortunes, multi-mile long soup kitchen lines, 
he earned one million dollars. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, where, um, where did that come from? Where did that kind of insight come from? He, I, I, I tell you the story because I wanted to share with you how extraordinary this man was, you know, I mean, just, and, and what was interesting is he taught me, you know, I call, I ended up calling that the Sam sewing machine story because there's so many parts of that story that are so wild. First of all, here's the thing. He literally earned a million dollars and never put any of his own money in. It was wow. not, no, none of his own money. Um, he solved problems for multiple people. He solved problems for the sewing machine guy because he had sewing machines collecting dust. He solved problems for people who needed money to, you know, to for income. He, he he solved their income, and then you know they were able to pay for the sewing machines. He solved a, an income for uh, the clothing stores to have high grade, handmade clothing that they could sell at a discount. And so what he did really was he went through this chain of events and solved a problem for every one of them. And he shared with me one of the most extraordinary and important parts was what he taught me with all this was this was that this community of women that he formed of these women working from home and that was sort of the beginning of my thoughts of what you know a, a community even was you know what i mean what is a community right and and the difference between givers and takers and he began to teach me the differences that um you know and, and as we do and we teach in givers university which manifested because of what he taught me uh that we don't label people you know we love everybody and we tell everyone we love everybody and we say that emphatically and when we say giver we're not labeling the person as a giver we're labeling giver deeds we teach people how to separate the person who we love from their deeds which we may not love and so when we say taker, we're not identifying or labeling a person because we don't label people. We're labeling the deeds. The deeds they have are taker deeds, right? So there's a, quite a distinction there. And we teach people something that's not being taught, how to discern in relationships. As you well know, Chris, we have businesses opening and closing faster than ever before in history. We have products being antiquated overnight by new products that someone put together in the garage or their basement overnight, right? It's happening faster and faster and faster. So what do we have left? When all this is done, what do we have left? Our relationships. And no one, I've done 120 interviews now since last April, right? Not one single entity have I found is teaching us how to discern in our relationships. In other words, what are the things we should watch and we began to develop then very granular checklists, right? Not the broad innocuous swaths where you say, oh, that sounds really good, but uh, how do I apply that? You know, this is, we've broken it all the way down to where you can no longer say, how do you do it? Because there it is, that's what you do. And we have actually developed checklists to help people discern in their relationships. And we have one that's called the 25 do's and it's actually 25 deeds that you observe people doing. And from these deeds that you're watching them do, not listening to their words, because as we say in Gives University, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. The things we do, our deeds will always tell the truth of what we really are all about. So we teach people, observe these deeds, look for these deeds. And when you see them doing certain things, you may wanna pull them in closer into your giver community closer into your life. Or when you see them doing other certain deeds, you may want to begin respectfully, not nasty or rude, 
respectfully distancing yourself because if you bring them in closer, they're going to make you collateral damage and you're going to be stomping out fires not of your making. Your stress level goes up. In fact, I ask your listeners, if you think about all the fires you stomp out every day, if you think about when your stress level goes up, every one of those have one thing in common. There's a name attached to them. Yep. And if we can teach people, which is what we do, how to discern in your relationships up front, how to, and, and it's a skill. It's just not being taught anywhere, right? How, how, what do you look for? What do you decide? It's like one guy said a number of interviews back, he said, oh, this is really good. I read some book. I said, I have to have five really good people around me. I said, you're right. One question, which five? Yep. Like stared back at me and I said, no one's teaching us which five. So are we talking about this in terms of business communities? Are we talking about it within our kind of social groups as well? What are we, um, what is the aim of the game here in terms of, um, you know, deciphering uh, whether someone is a, a giver or a taker in these kind of, in, in these kind of terms? You actually hit two of the three. You could even add in family because everything that we teach is such, a, it, it's done in a way that it's immediately applicable to a business environment to a social environment and a family environment. And, uh, and, and of course, part of that, when we discern others, there's an automatic self-assessment part that's built into all of it. So when someone sees something, oh boy, I can see on this list of 25, ooh, I gotta work on number 12, <laughs> you know, or, or number 14's a little, uh, you know, I'm being a little takerish right there, you know? And uh, so it's a part of what we teach. And so that brings us all the way to sort of, the thing that will impact our lives, Chris, more than a business, more than anything else, a direct result of our family and our social, what are those? Relationships, a community that we form around us, a community of friends, our community, those family members we're closer to, the community of those. And so what we do is, and I wanna share with your listeners as we to sort of talk about community for a minute to maybe provoke some thought. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great communities today. People love dogs and help dogs. There's people that help children, you know, many great organizations, many great communities doing great things. But also there's been a little bit of over the fast, most recent years, a change in the definition of what community is. Um, and may I demonstrate how that happens? There's a word that's spelled D-I-E-T, the word's diet, right? Many years ago, if I went to a meeting with two or three or four people, I went to a diet. The meeting was called a diet, right? And uh -huh. then later on, spelled the exact same way, if I received a weekly allowance or a stipend, that was called a diet. I received a weekly diet, right? Spelled the same way, right? Then later on, as I was growing up, the word diet meant eating habits, the way you ate. That was your daily diet, the way you ate, right? Now, if you say the word diet, it means weight loss, right? So spelled the same way, totally different meanings through the years, right? And I, I submit to you, uh, Chris, and to your listeners that we've seen the same thing happen with the word community because today there are a number of what I would call so-called communities, AKA, I would identify them as taker communities. I would ask your listeners to think about this for a minute. Have you been cajoled or asked or invited to join a community? Be a part of us. And then within hours later, they start selling you something? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, right. those aren't a community. That's a customer list. So why are you doing a bait and switch on me, right? I mean, I've had the same thing. And I go, unsubscribe, unjoin, you know, because, and then I feel like I've been had a little bit because I, and I this isn't a community of people working together. This is, I'm your customer hit list. Call it what it is. And then I'll decide, yeah, I want to be on your customer list because you have some great products or services, but don't bait and switch me by saying I'm going to join this great community and all I am is a customer to you, right? Big difference. So we be, we're, we're out to identify that difference for many people. So I use the example, you know, in the old West, they had the covered wagons that would get in a circle for protection. Yep. Well, with the taker communities, they get in a circle and then they start shooting inward. Yep. <laughs> shooting in the wrong, wrong direction. So, you know, because a taker community is formed to make money off of you. That's a taker community identifier. The whole purpose, the whole purpose is to make money. You're a paycheck and that's it. Now, now we're going to contrast that for your listeners a little bit so they can see the difference because there's nothing that's going to have a more dramatic impact on your listeners' lives, Chris, than the people they have around them because those people around them will even influence the way they think. The things they say, you know, I remember when we were kids, you know, in, in the States, we had a thing like if you said something the same time someone else did, we used to say, yo, me a Coke, you know, because it, it was sort of like, you know, we both said the same thing at the same time, probably also because we hung out a lot together, right? It influenced me or, or us, right? So now we're going to talk a little bit about a couple things, setting the stage for what a giver community is, how those are formed, and then also the steps some would go through. I want to share that with your listeners. These are the steps you go through in forming the proper kind of community around you step by step so that they really get some value out of our, our podcast and your great show, Chris. So the first thing is one of the things my mentor taught me was what we call what he called the giver scale of life. He said, let me, and I was a teenager at this point, late teens, and he said, let me teach you about life. I said, okay, and here's a guy, you know, millionaire, multi-millionaire, you know, wealth, you know, oozing from his skin, literally, you know, and uh, very successful. Unfortunately, his health was deteriorating because of, you know, living on cardboard as a kid. He got an extreme case of diabetes. But he said, let me tell you about this life thing and how this works. He says, and how to make it work. He said, picture a scale, and on the right side, all the things you're going to get in your life. Let's call that the receiving part. On the left side of the scale, let's call that the giving part. Everything you're going to contribute, give, everything you can give. He said, here's an amazing thing about this scale. It's never out of balance. He said, it, it strives for balance. And even at a moment when it seems out of balance, it always ultimately balances itself. He said, so let me share with you how this life thing works. Forget about the right side. He said, in the beginning, it's going to be a little difficult to do that. Forget about what you're going to get. And he said, do your best to heave as much as you can on that left side and do your, make it your goal to try to get that scale out of balance because there's so much on the left side, it goes down. So th this, is, this is fascinating, actually, because I, I've heard this a lot in terms of, you know, there's a lot of kind of new agey stuff out there about um, kind of, you know, the energy you put into life. And it, it's something I, I kind of say as well, the energy you put into life gets reflected back at you. 
you know so if you're if you are a taker perhaps then you you don't get you don't in the end you don't get as much because you're you're in that kind of imbalance side of things but that kind of giving how do you how do you give and i mean you've worked in nutrition so i guess what you're doing is you're you're helping other people be well and that is that is the kind of giving i guess and so the 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 rewards you get for that are kind of in balance of that but how do you how do you give without sacrificing yourself and depleting yourself and how do you how do you push as much onto that side of the scales without sacrificing too much and kind of becoming kind of depleted and exhausted by the whole the whole process if you like Great question. Um, and first of all, I want to say I'm about as far from a new agey as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm like the polar opposite of that. You know, because I'm very everything I've been taught in my life from people way smarter than me were very results thing. They were things when you do this, you get this. I, I've been taught very cause and effect. You know, uh, and and the the giver scale of life is very causal and effect. And I found that it worked, you know, I mean, I started applying these things that my mentor was teaching me. And one of the things he taught me to answer your question was, he said, let's talk a little bit about giving. He said, when you're a giver, people will take advantage of you, expect it. He said, but here's the part no one gets. They never know about the rest of that sentence. The full sentence is when you're a giver, people will periodically take advantage of you, expect it but you're never diminished because they did. They are diminished. He said, that's the part. That's the part, once you get your head around that, that they're diminished. And he said, it will. He said, the scale of life, for whatever reason, it's there and that's the way it works. He said, yes, that person may take advantage of you, but they lose. The re they, what they really ended up doing was diminishing themselves. They lost the relationship. They lost anything you could have contributed. And here's the thing. It will come back to you from another business, from another person, from another event. And I can share with you that there's nothing mystical about that. It's a cause and effect, right? And and, and there's so many dynamics in nature that are cause and effect, right? Uh, so the, the giver scale of life is actually extremely results-oriented. And I can share with you an even more dramatic part of it. My business mentor came to me one day and he said, uh, uh, he said, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to have us compete. And at this point, we we're equal partners, right? And I said, all right, this should be really interesting. You know, and he had that glimmer in his eye, you know, and there was a, there was a show in the, uh, in the States way back, I think seventies called the monkeys. And oh, one yeah. of the characters, there's one of the characters was Davy Jones. And whenever he saw a real pretty girl, his eyes would twinkle. Well, my business mentor could do that with his eyes. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he had that twinkle. Whenever he had an interesting idea, his eyes would twinkle. And I would think to myself, this is going to be really interesting. What is about ready to happen? There's the twinkle I know. Right? So he said, I'd like to have us compete. And I said, okay. And he said, this is what I propose. I propose a contest that we compete to see who can make each other the most money in a year. And the loser has to bite the, buy the winner anything they ask for. I said, what? How, wait, what are you, wait. All right, if I'm gonna commit to this, I wanna find out, make sure I understand. All right, so what you're saying, Sam, is you and I are gonna compete to see who can make the other one more money in one year. So if I make you more money than you make me, I won, you lost. 
as a winner, I get to ask you for anything I want and you as the loser have to buy it. He said, that's right. And I said, okay. So the other side of the coin must be true that if you win or if you lose and I win, I get to ask you for anything and you have to buy it. And he said, that's right. I said, okay, this should be really interesting. Okay, you're on. So we did it. The first year, Chris, oh, he beat me so bad. <laughs> it wasn't even funny. And as a result, I paid cash for a home for him in Florida. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I couldn't be mad because I had the money and he had made me more money that year than I made him. So I mean, there was nothing to be concerned about. And then the, and I thought, man, I got to catch on to this. This is going to be brutal if I don't figure this one out, right? And then the next year I won and he bought me an aircraft. Uh, and then I became a commercial pilot. The next year he bought me a limousine. The next year he bought me a second plane. And then after that, we just started carrying it forward. And then I realized what he had done. He knew his health was deteriorating fast. We both did. And that, and here I am in my 30s. So there was no way he was going to be able to keep up with me. We owned everything 50-50. He was not going to be able to put in the time and the effort I was going to be able to put in. He did this on purpose so my head wouldn't get screwed up. He wanted me to win knowing I would later on and that I got that extra perk every year that he didn't get, which would help my mind not get goofed up. So this is what I ask you. What kind of person thinks of that? Well, that's a, that's a giver, right? That's a real, that's a real giver. I mean, I, I've never had anyone I've ever explained that contest who said they've ever heard anything like it before. And you think, what kind of man would think of that in advance, knowing how I was going to feel, what, what the future is going to be, but also to demonstrate for me over and over again the principles and precepts he was teaching me. So can, you, I, can, can you break this down into an example of how, of how this works? So you give and you give and you give. And ultimately, the scale balances itself. So in, in terms of your, your practical um, experience in, in life in the diamond business, for example, how, how did that work? How did that kind of in turn come to uh, balance itself for you? I'll, I'll even tell you a story I very rarely tell because we're, um, you know, I should warn your listeners, I never say anything in 10 minutes if I can't say it in 20. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, so the, <laughs> but uh, this is a story that dramatically impacts exactly how that works. And that's, it's these kinds of things that made me a believer in that, right? Because uh, it wasn't hocus pocus, but I, you know, it's as things go on, we realize that's happening and that's working and that's working. Um, I, while I was being mentored, I also started a training company, separate. And I had a gentleman who was a partner of mine. And uh, back then, the phones had answering machines, right? It wasn't voicemail or anything. And it was this machine that sat on my desk and it had two cassette tapes in it. One was your outgoing message, one was your incoming message. And the, outgo the uh, incoming message was like 60 minutes long. So this training company is very prosperous. We had a number of offices around the Midwest and the company was actually doing amazing. I left home for an hour, came back, and the whole incoming message tape was used. And I thought, oh, some kids must have got a hold of it because it was voice actuary. As long as someone talks, it would record. And I thought some kids got a hold of it and they did periodically and sort of played with it and just, you know, just played around with it. Well, that wasn't the case at all. While I was gone, right after I left, my business partner in that business, while I was being mentored separately with Sam Robbins, 
that he left me, called me and left me a message. And I could hear in the background back then, you could with the phones, when someone was calling you, you'd hear a little tone in the background that would let you know someone's calling them, right? It was like beep, beep, like in the background. I could hear that in the recording that he was getting a phone call. So he just left me a message, call him back, hit the receiver on his phone so fast and said hello right away that he put my machine on recording and conference call and recorded the whole conversation he had with someone else while I was gone. I wasn't even there. Now, this is where it really gets incredible. The whole conversation is how the two of them were going to systemically take over the company and kick me out of it. Wow. And I owned half of it. So let me tell you, Chris, it's a little bit different when you hear it in their own words. It's not third party. I'm hearing him say these things, right? And man, I got to tell you, I had a sleepless night because I'm thinking, man, I just, I never saw that coming. I just, you know, these are some of the things that taught me that I need, I need to learn in all ways to discern in all my relationships. I'm being betrayed here, right? From someone, my least, I had zero indication this was happening. I thought, man, this, clearly now I know what kind of person he is. Not only that, I know his plan. I know the plan, right? And I thought, man, what are the odds of this, right? I mean, he could have called it another time. I could have picked up the phone. No, he called when I left. Another person could have called him or not called him. No, that guy called him. When they called and talked, they could have talked about golf or something. No, it's the plan. So you can't tell me that's a coincidence or a mistake. There's just no way, there's no odds that could justify that, right? That was supposed to happen just that way, right? And uh, so I thought, hey, what am I going to do? So I thought, okay, I got to reach down deep into my training. I have to reach down deep into what, what, what would Sam do? What did he teach me? And he said, well, you know, every adversity carries with the seed of an equal or greater benefit. It's up to us as leaders to move aside those leaves and find those greater benefits. They're always there. And so I had a sleepless night and I thought, well, there's only one thing I can come up with. I got to tell Jim that I want him to buy me out. I need to have him buy me out now because I don't want to even be partnered with this guy. So anyway, it, it shocked him when I told him that. It was going to ruin his plans of his plan he had put together. And I said, we've got one week to put together a buy-sell agreement because I'm going to do something with my mentor, which I was going to be doing another thing with him anyway. So, uh, you know, I got a couple payments from the guy and I figured they were gifts. I really I didn't even expect to get anything other than the down payment. But here's what's interesting. A year later, I saw him at an amusement park from a distance. Now, I knew who it was. He was my, he was my business partner, right? So there was no question. I knew who I was looking at, right? He was that close. So at least I could see him. He didn't see me because of the angle we were at, but I knew it was him. He looked like he had aged at least 20 years, and it was only one year later. And also, I had already, previous to seeing him, had heard that he had filed for personal bankruptcy, closed all of the offices, and gotten divorced. Interesting, in that same year, was the largest income year I'd had in my life up to that time. Now, what's interesting about all of that, Chris, he never knows the recording ever happened. I never told yeah. him. So there's the classic proof story of how rather than getting down in the mud and doing all this stuff, I say, hey, I don't want this guy, you know, what do you do with spilt milk? You clean it up and get another gallon. You don't sit there and cry over it and say, wham, wham, wham. You know, you just you get another gallon, you go on, right? So all the things that happened to me, that are benefits of that life, came out of this betrayal and amazing things happened to me in my life because I did what my mentor taught me, which was rise above it. 
and the the because I gave to that circumstance and I gave to myself, which is okay, that separated me from what normally would have been the circumstance and I rose above it and benefited where he tubed everything, including his own personal life in every way you could think of. This sounds very stoic. I mean, I've, I've heard um, uh, other very successful businessmen, whenever something has gone wrong, you know, something's fallen through, something's not quite gone to plan, their response has always been good and they move on. You know, they, they learn what they need to learn. They explore any opportunities for, you know, turning it around, but they move on and they, they use it as a kind of source of growth rather than getting kind of frustrated or upset. They see everything as a kind of opportunity, if you like. Is that what it means? You, you give that like precisely. Kind of, yeah. So you're giving yeah. every everything that comes to you in life. You, and I can share with you that, that you said that something really pointed there. Um, and, and forgive me, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you in your sentence. No, that's I, right. I apologize. The, uh, um, the, I interviewed, I was fortunate enough when I had my radio talk show, I interviewed 1,000 millionaires in two years. Every one of them, Chris, every one of them had the story you just said. Not some of them, not part of them, not half of them, not 90%. Every one of them told me the story where everything looked like it wasn't going to work. Their family said throw in the towel. Their neighbor said throw in the towel. The business said throw in the towel. The finances said throw in the towel. Every kind of reason you could think of. And what's even more amazing is that some of them, these people didn't even know each other, separate industries, even separate time periods when I was interviewing them. But some of them even used the same words. It was sort of astonishing to me as I was seeking out the commonalities and threads through these thousand millionaires. Why them? And you know, most people don't earn a million dollars in their whole lifetime if you add all their income together. So why these, you know, what did these men and women do that was so different? And I was, I was wanting to seek and find out, you know, what was that answer? And, and it turns out there was multiple answers, but this was one of them. They said the following, when things were so dark, they said, I took the next step out of curiosity to see if there was anything else that could go wrong did I miss something? <laughs> you know, I mean, they said there was, they said it was like a morbid curiosity, you know? I mean, is there possibly anything else that could go wrong? I'm just going to see if there is because there's nothing, there's like nothing here. And they said when they did that, they said it was weird that on its own, things started to come together. And it was almost like temporary defeat exited and said, you know, this man and woman, they don't know when to give up. It's going to be easier for me to screw up someone else's life. These ones aren't giving up. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it in the towel and it leaves. And they said, they said, I, and even in spite of myself, they even used those words, things started working out. And I, and I was sort of amazed that it was happening. They all had that story. And I found that extremely interesting that they all had that time where you know, they persevered past normality, if you will, right? Uh, and 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 they all had that, that giver's mindset that they were willing to contribute, they were willing to give, and they were not focused on what they were going to get out of it. Their persistence didn't, they didn't take that extra step because of what they were going to get out of it because some of them said they took the extra step just to see if there was anything else that could go wrong. And that isn't what someone normally wants to get out of something, right? It was quite I mean astonishing. I mean, is this about taking ownership? Is it about, you know, life is happening to us all the time? 
But in these moments, we step into it and just sort of say, well, hang on a minute. Let's see what's going to happen here. I'm going to take a piece of action. I'm going to take ownership of the situation. You know, I have this, something is about to happen or something has just happened and it's kind of happened to me. Things have gone wrong. Things have, you know, I've heard this terrible conversation on the, on the answer phone machine and things are, are happening that are kind of out of my control. So I'm going to do something now that is in my control and, and let's see what happens. Is that what it is? It's about giving yourself. It's, and it's your a huge part of it. Input. Yeah, because it because it's the it's the accepting responsibility for our own thought process, you know, uh, to be what I call an independent thinker, someone who has the ability to think their own thoughts and keep their own counsel, no matter what anyone else is saying around them. Uh, and, you know, as opposed to a dependent thinker who will change their thoughts quickly and easily based on what everyone else is saying for them to think or for them to do. Right. That's a dependent thinker. They're they're going to think dependent on what other people are saying or doing. And an independent thinker says, all right, I'll watch and I'll pay attention, but I'm going to keep my own counsel, right? Uh, See, and that's what I always tell people. If I, I say, if I say something and, and you don't like it, that's on you. That's not on me. I have the I have the right to say that. I said, if I touch you, that's a different thing. And I deserve an education. <laughs> I said, but if, if but if I say something to you and you get mad, that just allow, that just means you allowed what I said to control you and you shouldn't be doing that to begin with. And vice versa. If you say something to me and I and and, and I let it upset me. I didn't accept responsibility for my emotions. And that means I allowed what you said to control my thought process. And as my business mentor drilled in me, do not allow your emotions to rule your intellect. When you do that, you are reacting and you never want to react. He said, respond. When you're responding, your intellect is controlling your emotions. See, that's quite, that's quite huge. And I mean, it must be very hard to do this when you are um, wake up every day eating cardboard for breakfast. You know, how do you, how do you not get beaten down by that? How do you still come with the energy that you're going to, you know, own, own that situation, own your own thoughts and your emotional responses to things? Well, as my business mentor said, he said, it's amazing thing about when you get to the bottom of the pool. He said, only when you get down in the drain, do you get to kick off and come flying out the top of the water where most people just sort of hover in the middle of the water somewhere? And he said, and uh, he said, and because of that, they never have the momentum to come flying out of the water. You got to get to the bottom of the drain to get there. You got to get to the bottom of the pool, right? And as he said, he said, remember, you never drown by falling in a pool. You fi- you drown by staying there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, I, and there's a great difference there, right? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So, to sort of talk a little bit about more on communities, because all of this, you know, how to to answer your question, how do you do that every day? Well, when you have the right group of people around you, it's a whole lot easier yeah. as opposed to doing that with stomping out fires at the same time. Right. So I'm going to share a little bit about how we build those communities, how to give your listeners some things they can use that can help them build their own communities. Right. So we have what we call in Givers University. We teach people to do that. Right. And and we call it a Junto. We call a giver's community a giver's junto. And basically, the, the intention of a junto or definition is a group of people that get together for a common purpose. That's right. the definition. Group of people get together for a common purpose, right? Now, the, the term itself actually was like from the 1600s, Spanish word. Um, wasn't used too much until the 1700s when a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin picked it up. And in 1727, Benjamin Franklin 
put together a group of 12 of his friends. He called this group the Mutual Improvement Club. Later on, he called it the Junto, and then they also called it the Leather Apron Club. Now, what's interesting is this, this group of a dozen people met every Friday for a couple hours. They talked about ethics, politics, morals, talked about all kinds of things. And in the United States, we have this thing called the Declaration of Independence. It can arguably said that the Declaration of Independence itself, the seeds of which can be found in the conversations that Ben Franklin had at his Leather Apron Club or his Junto. So no one can tell me Juntos can't have a huge impact, especially when a great group of people get together for the right reason. So we have three kinds of Juntos that we help people create for themselves. <clears throat> and I'm going to define those real quickly and give a quick example. Uh, the first one is what's called a greater Junto, a giver's greater Junto. Any number of people can be worldwide, people getting together for a common purpose, right? A good example of that might be uh, Salvation Army, maybe would be a good example. Maybe uh, the Lions Club might be a good example, right? They have chapters in different places and they get together for you know a common purpose. That's a greater Junto. The second is what's called an insider Junto. An insider Junto is two to 12 members, much more intimate, right? Much more confidential, if you will, more of a close-knit group. Good example of that would have been, you know, the Ben Franklin Leather Apron Club. Good example, right? Then we have what's called the Giver's Millionaire Junto. And these are two to 12 vetted millionaires who are getting together for a common purpose. Those are the three kinds, Greater Junto, Insider, and Millionaire Junto. A good example of the Millionaire Junto was, first of all, the one I had with my business mentor. That was Millionaire Junto, right? It's two of us. Uh, another good example was in 1915, Henry Ford formed a Millionaire Junto with himself, Thomas Edison, the inventor, Harvey Firestone from Firestone Tires, and John Burroughs, who was actually a writer and a poet. And interesting as a, a what for a living, he was actually a federal bank examiner. So I kind of guess he must have been the money guy. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. but so and and Henry Ford called this group the Four Vagabonds. That was the name he gave them, right? So he named his group, and and that that's an example of a millionaire junto, and all their businesses prospered as a direct result. So here's what's different about a giver's junto. All of the members agree up front to doing certain things. Now, I'm familiar with a book called Think and Grow Rich, and I suspect you probably are too. Yeah, Napoleon Hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And Napoleon Hill talks about the mastermind. I've witnessed, maybe you have too, a number of masterminds that they come together, but then within a couple of months, they just sort of dissipate. And I've always been a little perplexed by that. And I, you know, and the perplexity with me causes curiosity. And then I want to find out, well, why is that happening? Looking for the solution, whatever that may be. And we realized it was the giver's junto because there were certain aspects that were not happening. As Napoleon goes through his explanations of mastermind, which is masterful for sure. But there's certain parts he doesn't get in at the very granular level of how do you decide on those 12 people, you know, or what do you do? So we wanted to make it go the next step, if you will. So we that's actually what we've done with the, these three different kinds of Juntos. So I can share with you the steps of forming a Junto. There are seven steps. Okay. Easy to remember by virtue of an acronym that has seven letters. The acronym word is DISCERN. 
which incidentally is also what we teach, how to discern in relationships, right? So the first letter, D, means decide. Decide who you're going to have, right? Or who you're going to invite. So most people wouldn't know where to begin. The first question is, how do I decide? who? That's where we really come in. Remember that checklist I mentioned of the 25 do's. We give it for free. We want people to have it because we know it's going to impact us, impact them, because our job at Givers University is to get that scale out of balance. That's our job, and that's our goal and commitment, right? So the 25 do's as an actual checklist helps people begin to discern, okay, this person, well, this person here only does like five or 10 of them. I should look at them a little closer maybe. All right, this one here, and they're nailing all 25. I definitely want to send them an invite to become a part of my Junto. So what that does is it helps them have an actual how-to checklist. Look for, observe these deeds. And then these are the people that you want to have around you. Because if they're doing these things, they're where they need to be. The only way they could be doing those things is that they're in the right place and you want to have them as a part of your giver junto. So D is discern. You have a question? Yeah, I was going to say this is like, I'm. it's funny because I've had other people on the podcast, uh, entrepreneurs and people mm -hmm. like that, who have uh, one one sticks in my mind, Pip Jameson. She's um, started a, a kind of online networking um uh, platform for creatives mm. but she is a she's an entrepreneur and she meets regularly with other entrepreneurs and they don't they don't give business advice but they give kind of moral support if you like so it's a, it's a like a kind of encouragement almost like um, a self-help group for entrepreneurs you know people mm -hmm. addicted yes. to success and it, it just resonates with me that you know these these high achievers surround themselves with other high achievers who can help, um, you know, kind of spark them to, to even go further. Um, so, yeah, so this is great. So carry on anyway. So we've done B. For so sure. So D on. and I is uh, the next letter, which means invite. You invite the 12 people and we even teach people. This is what you say. This is how you invite them. This is what you want to accomplish, right? S is uh, for seed. And in the, in the seed part, the whoever's forming the chapter or the, the Junto get, ha, shares with them. These are the three pillars and this is the one intention. You need to agree to these up front. If you don't agree to these up front, no problem. That's okay. We'll part friends. You know, let's stay friends. Mm -hmm. This just won't be for you, right? So that's a critical part in the commitment is from the onset, setting forth the expectations. Yeah. what's expected of each member of the group and why, and that it will be policed because it's important that every member continue to do that, right? And then what happens is the fear dissipates on, oh, they're going to take advantage of me. Because when you have the Junto formed right, following our instruction, what happens is you have, of 12 members, you as a person doing what we call the, the giver's contest intention. We actually name it, that's Sam's contest right? That everyone, you know, see who can help the other ones more than they're getting back. Yeah. Well, if each member is doing that, that means when each member does, they have 11 more doing it back at them. And that's the perfect scenario of what Napoleon Hill masterfully discusses the spirit of harmony, right? Yeah. That can be very positive or destructive, right? So by creating, by setting forth the standard in advance and on the onset, it helps establish the spirit of harmony that's so critical in maintaining that continuity in the glue and then the ongoing agenda, which we actually provide them with so that there's structure 
to the events, right? Because this is about, as we go through the three pillars, I'll touch on, as it's called the giver's junto, right? Yep. So the giver's junto is, the first uh, pillar is our credo. Our credo is give to be great, that you can be great by giving, right? Second is our pledge to help, and this every member pledges, to help every giver junto member lead a life of predictive, massive, and exceptional happiness, freedom, and greatness. They have to agree to that up front. Then the third is our labor of love. Every group should have a labor of love, something they're doing. We are launching ours this coming fall, a year from now, 2022, and it will be massive. We have an actual way, step-by-step, on how to end hunger one zip code at a time. Wow, fantastic. And that has quite annually, that's a carryover from my business mentor who lived on cardboard, right? It's a way for me to, you know, you never know how something can impact someone, you know, way down the road. He passed away early because of his diabetes, but I, I think our labor of love is an outstanding one. So they commit up front to those three pillars and then the what we call the three pillars and the one intention. The one intention is that they commit to the giver's contest intention. I'm going to help all of you earn more money than I'm possibly ever going to get back. And when all of them do that, it's this incredible spirit of dynamic that comes out of it that is inexplicable and much greater than they could ever, ever do on their own because, you know, some of the holes greater than some of the parts. So the C now uh, in discern is convene. They need to convene on a regular basis, whether that be weekly, every couple of weeks, a month, each month, whatever. There needs to be a regular, consistent convening. E is establish a name. Give their group an identity. Um, the Leather Apron Club from Ben Franklin. The, uh, the Four Vagabonds, Henry Ford, right? Give it an identity because the identity will help the continuity of the group as well. Um, and then also after that is R is for rotate have a different chair. We provide the giver's juntos with, with an actual agenda to help not only with the commitments up front, but then ongoing, these are the questions to ask of everyone of the group at your next meeting. Here, and that creates the, the prosperity and the three pillars that we are after providing with the, gen, the, the uh, agenda we're providing to them. And that each meeting, a different person chairs. Every, they rotate through the whole group, right? Okay. So that it's not up to one person in the group. They all are together equal there. And then the last N is for numbers. That someone can be a part of more than one Junto. They should seed other Juntos and they should be, they could be a part of a, a millionaire Junto and also an insider Junto. And to begin to develop those even on a worldwide basis because it's extraordinary what can happen when you have that kind of thing come together. So those are the seven steps that spell out discern. Now, what we do to help everyone is we actually do a two-minute clip every week that we send out, and, uh, and, and it's actually on our YouTube channel. And that two-minute clip is the next step in forming the Junto. So we started about six weeks ago. So we've got six, I guess you could say, episodes. And they're ba the first one talks about what's the difference between a giver and taker community. Right, and then and the little one and, last, and the most recent one is about the three pillars that I just spoke with about. So we're and we're going to walk them through so that they will have a way that's absolutely free, absolutely available. Here's the granular steps by step to form your own givers junto or your own group. 
use the same things. We want it out there. We all benefit because I've seen too many masterminds that came together with the right idea in mind, but didn't have the continuity, the commitment up front, and the ongoing structure that was so critical to keep it you know, glued together, if you will, and, and have that those expectations from the beginning. It was just sort of, let's all get together because Napoleon Hill said, you know, and Napoleon Hill's masterful. I got to tell you, masterful at what he explains. But we wanted to go that next mile for people, if you will, and, and provide that for them. So you're, you're kind of creating a structure because there's nothing to stop someone going away, getting their cleverest and brightest friends to kind of get together and have a mastermind group. If you we like. want them to. But this is more about creating a formal structure that will help people commit to that and keep turning up, keep showing up, keep, you know, trying to outdo the other masterminds in that group in terms of lifting each other up. It reminds me of a conversation I had um, a few episodes ago with a woman called Lindsay Hadley, and she does these big projects um, of great social good. Uh, but she gets huge multinationals involved and everyone benefits because she says it's based on the convener model. And she says, you know, when everyone's putting in, it raises all ships together. You know, everyone starts to benefit when they're all, when they're all giving. Yes. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic uh, model, I guess. So, so what are the benefits of, of coming along with Givers University and going off and doing it yourself? Real simple. Uh, you know, we're going to give them the steps so they'll never be at a point where, what do I do next? You know, yeah. uh, and, right. and, and so we, we set forth the guidelines, we set forth the agenda and all of it is within those three pillars and the one giver's intention. And, yeah. and we feel just having people having that mindset and going into it saying, all right, I'm, I'm going into this thing and I'm going to outgive everyone else in the group. And it's great to know that all of them are going to be doing the same thing. We all win, yeah. you know, and, 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 and exponentially as a direct result. Um, and, and I'd love to be able to share with everyone you know, how they get started with it. Cause it's absolutely free. We're doing this free. We want it. We, you know, we we're building value in people's lives and we're givers university. We sort of have to, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, that's the way it is, right? And we're we're going to do it no matter what. Uh, well, there's two ways. Uh, one is someone just go to our website. It's giversuniversity.com plural. Right. Uh, and on every page you can sign up for our newsletter. It's absolutely free. Um, we don't spam people. You know, I hate that I sign up for something and next, you know, I'm getting six emails a day from them and I unsubscribe, unsubscribe, you know. Um, we, they're going to get an email right away that says, do you want to communicate with these people? Because we we're not spammers. And they have to say, yes, yeah, I want to hear from them. Within an hour or two after, they're going to get their first download absolutely free. That's called The Six Arrows That Takers Shoot at Givers. It's a great, great checklist. About two days later, they're going to get the 25 dues I mentioned, absolutely free. We want them to download it, print it off, put it in their pocket, and use it in discerning all, not some, all of your relationships because your life will, and, and even we even teach people how to supplant, you know, if they see someone being a little takerish, you know, yeah. uh, what, do you, what do you do in that instance? Because now I, I learned this skill a little bit later than I would have loved to have learned it, but you know, now I've got to, what do I do in that? We teach, it's a skill. We teach them what to do, right? Um, so then, then, and then once a week, they get one simple, small newsletter from us. It's called the Giver's Toolbox. And every week we give them a new relationship tool to put in their relationship toolbox that's going to help them with their life, with their relationships and their discernment. 
It's every Thursday. That's it. I mean, they only jam their email or nothing else or push anything else on them. Through the course of that, they find out who we are. We've got courses that are online and all those things. But we, we know all that's really secondary to where we're at. We know that we're just, at this point, we want to do something that's so great and to welcome people to be a part of something exciting that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. And, and to be there in the very, very beginning. They can also, to find out about the Givers Junto, um, when they go to our website, go to the hamburger in the upper right-hand corner, click on it, uh, and uh, they'll look for the tab that says Givers Junto. And there's six options if they want information on there to either be a chapter, form a chapter of any one of those three different kinds, or to be a member of any one of those three, and we'll connect them to another Giver Junto. So and they could just say, I want more information on this, have someone contact me kind of thing. And, uh, and that's it. We, you know, we love to, we're, we're so blessed to be able to share this. And I'm so blessed to have had the mentor that I did. Um, and I have a responsibility and it has to do with the vow. When I was 19, I asked Sam Robbins, Sam, will you teach me everything? I want to know it all. Don't hold back. All of it. Teach it all. He said, okay, I'll teach you. But I want one thing back. And I said, okay, what's that? He said, when the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as possible everything I taught you. So at 19 years old, I made a vow. I made an oath to this man that today is Givers University. Yeah, that's brilliant. And there's such a strong message there as well i think you know we're all competing all the time but this is actually about almost gamifying lifting each other up and i think i think that's a brilliant and really worthy route to success if you like if you can if you can find success and bring other people with you while you're doing it i think that's a really a really powerful and um you know a really you know valuable worthy way to do it so uh so yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be signing up myself. <laughs> I look forward soon. to it. I mean, yeah, and, and same uh, with your listeners. It's it's all yeah. free. You know, we they've got nothing to lose, and and what a great way to have their influence of their life. And if I may, I'd like to share yeah. the three things, the three phrases in closing that my business mentor talked me into trying over four decades ago, and since then. I've said these phrases multiple times every day and as fortunes ebbed and tied in and out of my life, businesses went up and down as they normally do with everyone and everything. There's a, it does with everyone, right? Uh, these three phrases, I pray your listeners, listen to your podcast not only multiple times, but write these phrases down and begin to say them to yourself, every single person, because it will impact you in ways you don't even realize and recognize till you look back with that perfect 2020 hindsight vision. And these are the three things in closing that my business mentor persuaded me to say that had such a huge impact on my life. And they are as follows. I will never give up. I will keep rising up and I will always overcome. That's great. Yeah, great, great mantras, I think, to to kind of live by and to keep you going, no matter what the circumstances are. And I, I think that's really powerful. I've heard similar things from people who do massive in, feats of endurance, uh, ultra runners, people like that have similar kind of mantras. So I think it's really powerful to 
to have those. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put those in the show notes and I'm gonna repeat those in the introduction awesome. as well. So uh, so thank you for that. And of course all the all the URLs. So it's giversuniversity.com. Yes, sir. That's the place to go to. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean it's so powerful. I, I've just entered into um, a uh, what do we call it a a kind of mentorship with a, a colleague of mine, and we're going to start. Um, holding each other to account and helping each other excellent i think all of these kind of things can really really help people so i'm gonna i'm gonna really dive into givers university so i really appreciate that and um, thank and thank you, you for giving giving your time as well today I'm, I'm very very grateful thank you and as we say at givers university don't just have a good day have your best day ever so there you go that was the uh very exciting and interesting and inspiring E.A. Solkovitz. What a storyteller he is. Um, but what a brilliant idea. Just getting together a group of people who all have one aim, and that is to lift each other up. I can't see why there's any reason not to give that a go. Um, and uh, you can find out more about his uh, Givers University at www.giversuniversity.com. And next week, I'll be speaking to Dr. Travis Fox. You might know him from the sequel to The Secret and we'll be talking about how to feel your goals into reality. Uh, so don't miss out on that one. And don't forget to subscribe and rate and review. And um, you know wherever you get podcasts, just uh, check us out and share the love. And uh, you can also find more episodes at conversationsonliving.com. And until next week, when I'll be speaking to Dr. Travis Fox, have a lovely day. Mm-hmm.